Welcome to The Five Things This Week in Social, the podcast that looks far and wide for the stories about social. We narrow it down to just five so that you can know all the no's on the platforms you use every day. If you are a marketing professional, a content creator, or anybody whose job it is to use social as a tool, then you found the right podcast. On the show today, we welcome back to the pod our friends Kylie McDonald and Hannah Loff. Hello, Kylie. Hello, Joey. How's it going? It is going well. Kylie, did you play an instrument growing up? Um, yes, I did. I played the clarinet in middle school, but was quite terrible. So I switched over to chorus during high school. Very nice. Um, but yeah, I was quite horrible. <laughs> Hello, Hannah. How are you? Hey, Joey. Good morning. I'm great. What was your favorite subject in school? Ooh, um, probably like literature, English classes, because I just got to read amazing books and then talk about them, which I still love to do. I love that. I love that. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo. And in high school, this is probably a surprise to no one, but I loved theater class, but I was never a good singer. Kylie was never good in chorus class. All right, friends, let's get into the five things. First up, Kylie tells us about TikTok's new STEM feed. That's STEM, that's short for science, technology, engineering, and math, that will appear alongside the following and for you feeds. Next, Hannah stays with TikTok and talks about the new Sephora and TikTok incubator program. Then Kylie will explain Instagram's new top three stories sticker. Our fourth thing today is Hannah chatting about custom AI chatbots that will rule in fandom. And finally, Kylie tells us about YouTube's new multi-view feature, an option that allows viewers to watch up to four different sporting events in a live stream. All right, let's get into all of it. Kylie, tell us about TikTok's new STEM feed. Yeah, so starting off strong with a topic where social media is finally contributing to some social good in the world. Um, TikTok is introducing a new feed dedicated to STEM content in the coming weeks within the US. So this feed is gonna sit alongside the app's traditional following and for you feeds for users to kind of toggle between. And we'll show STEM content without having to actually like search for it in a search bar or like have friends send you random links if you work in STEM, um, which is super fun. And this is another extension of TikTok's ongoing test of topics feeds, which aim to kind of funnel users into exploring content across targeted categories like fashion, sports, food, gaming, and STEM is the new addition to that. So this stems from TikTok's acknowledgement that STEM-related hashtags have received over 100 billion views to date on the platform, which is awesome. We love that for science. And its newly announced partnerships with Common Sense Networks and Pointer are going to bring this high-quality STEM content to the platform. And these partnerships are also going to serve as authenticators for the content being added to the STEM feed and common sense networks are gonna assess all the content to ensure it's appropriate and Pointer will assess the reliability of the information presented like per video, which is, we love that verification factor there, of course. And so if content does not pass both of those checkpoints, it will not be eligible for the STEM feed, 
which I wonder how reliable that's going to be, but we can have high hopes. <laughs> and just leveling it a little bit, this sounds like a balancing act on TikTok's part to compete with YouTube, considering YouTube has a topics category at the top of its homepage um, for a while now, and TikTok is typically known for discovery rather than a funneled search and find. But these dedicated topic spaces are still focused on that native discovery feature, just now with a plus up of searchability in the discovery process. Personally, like my biggest question as an advertiser is obviously if and how branded content is gonna show up within this feed and within designated categories of science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, you know, how brands are gonna either play in the gray areas of those categories or really stick true to those categories. So many brands right now are growing their TikTok strategies to include educational content. So I wonder if that side of branding content will be accepted by the guidelines within the STEM feed. Hannah, you know, it's interesting. Kylie talked about the educational aspect of this, and I think that's really great. Not to be too much of a cynic, but a couple of weeks ago, we talked about TikTok's critics. And one of the things that they said was that in the US, they're just showing dance videos and non-educational content, while in other countries like China, they're showing this like educational content in an effort to make Americans uh, students dumber, or for example, were some of the things that were that were said when talking critically about TikTok. This feels like it's a left turn from that. Do you think education is a great way and a great place for these social platforms, specifically TikTok, to head in? I always think that it's great to educate people where they are uh, natively. And given that young people spend a lion's share of their discretionary social media hours on the platform, it's an amazing push to get them invested in science and technology, particularly young women that have traditionally been excluded from those industries. So I think it's smart. I'm here for it. I think that just more generally speaking, it's going to be a helpful tool for consumers, regardless of what topic they want to engage in. To the point that Kylie made earlier, it's going to make it much easier for folks to find the exact kinds of topics that they want to go deep on. And you're not getting that with the way that the interface works today. So I, as I said, I'm a fan. Yeah. And I think, you know, we will definitely be keeping an eye on where TikTok goes. I feel like we talk about TikTok almost weekly because they're always coming out with something new and innovative. And this week they have two innovative things going on. So they've got this new partnership with Sephora, this incubator program. Hannah, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. So on Monday, two brands that I will admit to overconsuming, Sephora and TikTok, announced a brand new initiative called the Sephora and TikTok Incubator Program. The partnership was designed to help launch young brands on the platform by giving them a greater degree of expertise about working with influencers. And as I understand it, the plan is to pilot the program by matching three Black, Indigenous, people of color-founded businesses with three established creators who would then mentor the marketers on everything from content creation to analytics to TikTok's role within holistic marketing plans. I think the end goal is ultimately to enable these smaller brands that ostensibly have smaller marketing budgets to level up their content, but at the same time, highlighting minority-owned businesses and creators. So pausing to dive into why this is newsworthy, why we're talking about it on the pod, 
I think that the question becomes, what, why is this relevant to me, particularly if I don't work in the space? And I will give you my take. The reality that I think we can all acknowledge is that TikTok now rivals Google as a sop as a top search engine. It is a go-to source of education, of entertainment. It is really edutainment, not just for beauty brands, but for so many other categories. And what fascinates me is that while TikTok is becoming more and more of a must-have, quote-unquote, channel on media plans, it's not necessarily a platform that all marketers feel professionally facile with. Um, though most of them use it in their personal lives, aka older millennials like me. So what I think is particularly smart about this program is that the creators who really are the true experts when it comes to deepening audience connections are kind of functioning like an extension of the brand's social media team as opposed to just a one-off vendor. And so it begs the question, how can we as advertisers, as marketers, engage with influencers in a similar capacity? Can we think beyond just traditional brand promotion about other ways to partner with creators to leverage their know-how and their authenticity, particularly when targeting diverse audiences? Um, might look like analytics, community management. There's a whole host of opportunities, but could be the key to unlocking new value in a video-first world. Very, very interesting. Kylie, as somebody who is on these platforms often, do you find that this is going to be a good, authentic fit for these two brands? I absolutely do. I've also loved this partnership so, so much. Um, I've really gone in depth into kind of how Target has taken a similar approach to including incubator programs and including BIPOC brands and creators, but they haven't partnered with TikTok yet, which I've found very surprising. So it's nice to see that Sephora is taking that leap. A couple of other points with this is that I also found it super interesting that this partnership chose a wide breadth of creators to include in the education models themselves. So like one of them has millions of followers versus the other having only in the low hundreds of thousands, um, which really speaks to like making sure these brands understand that they can use creators and influencers that have those great big followings, but they also could focus on more micro influencers and people with like more tight knit niche TikTok communities, which leads to my next point that like Considering Sephora's goal to shine a light on BIPOC-founded brands um, and creators, it's nice to see the initiative having a focus on community-building strategies within the TikTok platform. So often we see brands not viewing TikTok content as cumulative, just given the nature of the algorithm. But with the right like overarching TikTok strategy that these modules aim to build, these brands can truly build social communities around their beauty products and speak to corners of those social communities on TikTok that haven't seen enough love outside of just pushing products on them, which TikTok is great for that searchability factor now that it's replacing Google. But so often brands are only taking a product first approach rather than community building. And hopefully these education models within this partnership are going to change that. Kudos to TikTok on new features and new partnerships. All good there. All right, let's switch over to Instagram and talk about their new features. Kylie, tell us about Instagram testing a new top three story sticker. This is like my favorite chaotic thing of this podcast today. 
So the growth of Instagram story stickers options continues. Everyone loves a good sticker on their story, especially brands. So for me, again, super fun one. And while it might not be like super original on Meta's part, they kind of have started this process of stealing things from old social platforms and bringing them back to life. But I feel like it could be a new favorite option on the platform, um, at the very least leading to a lot of new trends um, that could come and go from it. So getting into it, this top three story sticker option will ask users to highlight their top three favorite accounts, songs, places, whatever you could list on Instagram and link out to, you can put on this top three list. So just from research, the articles that have been talking about Meta's testing of this feature keep referencing how MySpace used to let users list the top eight friends um, and the mayhem and chaos behind that that everyone was addicted to. But for me and my generation, we had the top friends on Snapchat and just the fights you would have over who is on your best friends list, like that went on for years and is a huge part of like the beginning of true connection on social and like competitive connection on social. So just as background, Snapchat used to list your three best friends on your profile so that everyone could see who you were Snapchatting the most until the feature was removed in 2015 with like a lot of outrage behind them removing that feature. So I for sure think that this type of feature would still have that very familiar tendency to focus on listing your top friends on Instagram or like the top accounts that you interact with the most. But Instagram is also full of accounts that go past personal connection, like brands, places, movies, objects, meme characters. Like you can literally make an Instagram account for anything these days. So there's a lot more opportunity and range on Instagram uh, for this feature than what MySpace or Snapchat had originally which lends itself to more opportunities for brands to really play around with um, this sticker. So off the top of my head of a personal user, I first asked some questions like, should I lift, list like a true for real top three accounts version of this or like an ironic or a satire version of it? There's a lot of different angles to this, all of which could really be awesome spinoff trends for brands to play around with. And then another way for brands to look at the potential for this feature is that it could be a great social listening tool. What are our followers listing off as their top three asides from close friends? Or are they just going to list off who they connect with most on the app? Which celebrities, which songs, which pop culture accounts, events, artists? There's a lot to learn from user preferences and a lot of ways to like respond to those preferences as brands. But the only sad part is this feature is still in testing, so it's not launched yet, but I will be its biggest fan when it does launch. Well, whether it's Snapchat or MySpace, you know, these features are not new and it is not new for Instagram, Meta, Facebook to be stealing features or borrowing features from other platforms. Hannah, did you have a MySpace back in the day? Yes. And I am in the camp that this reminded me of my top eight. I'm a little too old to have lived through the Snapchat era. But there's a lot of nostalgia embedded here. And, you know, in when it comes to marketing, I think that can be a really powerful tool, particularly among an older millennial audience like me, as these platforms continue to compete for relevance and for loyalty, including positive references to the early 2000s, uh, could help people of a certain age really deeply emotionally connect to the platform and give Insta the edge that it needs. 
yeah, could be could be really interesting. Very interested to see where this one goes and when this one rolls out and, you know, who engages with it and what the vibe is, right? Because Instagram also recently uh, rolled out a away message-like feature where I just felt compelled to only post, you know, emo lyrics like I would have in the early aughts. But we'll see, Instagram. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on this one. I love the nostalgia. All right, Hannah, talk to us about custom AI chatbots and their role in the fandom of fandom. That's a mouthful, but this is a fun one. Hold on to your seats. There is a new kind of chatbot in town, one that has infiltrated the world of fan fiction. So there is an app called character.ai, which launched last September and It lets users speak to AI-generated characters from their favorite fandoms. A little bit about how it works for those who who might not be familiar with this world. The site's top chatbots have millions of interactions and include versions of celebrities like Elon Musk, Donald Trump. The site also houses characters from popular games, uh, TV series, movies. So you can engage with personalities ranging from Cersei Lannister to Walter White, uh, depending on what genre you're into. Apparently, what makes the tech really compelling, according to its users, is that each fan can create their own version of a character based on either their interpretation or using conversations with other fan-created bots. Joey, Kylie, I will be the first to admit that this all sort of sounds like Greek to me and goes over my head a little bit, but the app is allegedly very easy to use. According to Twitter, fans have lost not just hours, but days to the site because it takes old-school role-playing to this whole new immersive level. I find this piece of news fascinating from a personal perspective, but It also feels very timely given that AI is just such a hot topic in advertising right now. Everyone seems to be trying to figure out what to do with it. I am the furthest thing from an expert, but what does get me super excited about AI is that it does have this potential to transform brands from inanimate objects into dynamic, living, breathing personalities that can actually interact with consumers. And from that perspective, it feels like it's going to create just a whole new paradigm for what brand experiences feel like, what they look like, what they sound like. And, you know, in terms of the creative possibilities, they're seemingly endless. I think we could easily spend a whole podcast talking just about AI and the impact on creative alone. The one caveat that I would offer and have offered to clients as they approach us is that this technology is still very much in a phase of relative nascency. Developing bots can be cost prohibitive. There's lots of heavy lifting and expertise that's required. So if brands do in fact want to invest in them, they really need to first seriously consider the value that that tech is going to deliver to their audiences. As somebody who is a fan of Star Wars and Marvel and all of it, this is really interesting. Kylie, would you say that this almost felt inevitable knowing the culture of fan fiction and the culture of AI colliding? Did this feel like, of course, this is going to happen? I would say absolutely, just because fan fiction is its own 
different world and like brands don't always touch fan fiction a ton because you like you can create anything there's so much range there that brands don't usually want to touch it it's kind of like a hit or miss area for them like you can concoct like literally any version of your brand it within fan fiction that becomes dangerous so the development of ai within it was definitely inevitable just for that very reason because there's not as much oversight and like different brands playing in the space but I actually have a roommate that is deeply obsessed with Hunger Games fan fiction stuff. So in preparation for this podcast last night, we played around with um, creating a chatbot for Peter Malark last night. And I will say this tech is sick. Like it is awesome. We spent two hours chatting with this chatbot about like Peter Malark's life after the Hunger Games movies that are currently out. Like I know they're developing a new movie right now or the new book is um, out and they're probably gonna come out with a new movie. But we spend a few hours on this and it absolutely works and it is entertaining. Like it's not, and it's not entertaining where it's funneling you into different channels. Like you really are creating that own narrative between you and this random chatbot, which is interesting which goes back to the main goal of these AI chatbots is that like the goal is to fight loneliness, which I thought was interesting um, in all of the research that I did behind this. So just sitting there with my roommate, like chatting with this person, it's not a person, I keep saying it's a person, but it's not. I think really achieved that goal of fighting loneliness just for that, even that one to two hours, um, which was unexpected for me for sure. And it's kind of like fighting loneliness, however you choose to do that, because some of these chatbots like sit next to fake psychologists or like psychologist chatbots too. So like you can have Peter Malark chatbot directly next to a self-help chatbot. Um, so it really is like pick your, choose your avenue of how you want to just entertain yourself for an hour. And then another side to this discussion is that Hannah brought up that these chatbot fan fictions are really created by users for other users. So there's a whole new range of creativity with that. It gives a lot of leeway for brands to not only chime in on how they could create that persona in the space, but also how they can use it for social listening. Like how are our fans perceiving the brand or like how are our fans perceiving pop culture references and like different characters? Like what do we want to know more about within these fan fictions and how can brands deliver on that on other channels outside of the space, which is super interesting. And then kind of as just a safety point, not even safety, I should backtrack a little bit, but a lot of discourse around AI generated chatbots is that there it's not a space where there's a lot of like critical feedback going on. It's more of a space where it's all about curiosity and just like creating more and more layers to it. Whereas like on Twitter, we've seen chatbots that are super critical and negative about what's being created and like kind of correcting it in a sense. Whereas on character AI, there's a measure that you can take to just refine your chatbots and like go back to the beginning and kind of refine the settings um, and the definition of what you're creating to then like take one step in the direction that you want that chatbot to talk about or like the narrative that you want it to create. So it's not so much about correcting it. It's more about adding new layers to get to where you want the narrative um, to land, which is awesome. So I'm a big fan of this. Sounds like and it. And I hope, yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this question. 
In your conversation with Peter Malark, any highlights? Do you have any, did you get any screen grabs? Anything good? Did he tell you anything juicy? Um, Nothing juicy, obviously. Like, I wish there was more juice to it. It was just entertaining. We were asking him about his kids mostly. Like, we wanted the details on Katniss after. And, like, you you end that movie on, like, a final scene of Peta, Katniss, and, like, their children. So, of course, we're going to ask about every detail that happens afterwards. But, no, nothing super juicy. More, like, I think the software needs to be a little bit more punchy and creative. But it was still fun. Very interesting. Very interesting. And I love to see that passion. <laughs> Find these characters in this AI. That's really cool. All right, let's get into our fifth and final thing today. Kylie, tell us about YouTube's new multi-view feature. All right, if you thought there was passion behind that, this is by far my favorite. I said my favorite one was the Instagram sticker before, but this one definitely is because this one is for my fellow March Madness fans out there. Yes, YouTube announced this week that they are launching early access to YouTube TV MultiView, which is super appropriately named. Um, it splits the screen into two or four segments with each square streaming from a different source. Kind of as a backgrounder at its core, YouTube TV allows users to watch TV and on-demand content from a variety of networks. And this added option is kind of a pivot away from YouTube's originally announced mosaic mode from last year, because this multi-view is specifically geared towards live sports instead of program content, which is kind of fun. So this option sets out to solve kind of this age-old problem of not wanting to switch channels to keep up with other games happening at the same time. And... TVs themselves have only started solving this problem um, with some of the offerings of picture-in-picture -picture modes, but YouTube's TV, like, literal setup is going to have this, is launching this multi-view. So it's not available on the app yet. It will be later on in the fall. It's mostly just within, like, a literal YouTube TV. But the main call-out with this feature is that users will not be able to view other content alongside sports. So you can't have the news on while you stream three games. You can't be watching Bravo um, and all of that discourse while you're watching a March Madness game. But all four streams uh, will stick to live sports. For now, the live sports content is also strictly for the NCAA tournament this year, which brings up another major call out for me. I'm super passionate about this. Will YouTube TV include the women's NCAA tournament within the pre-selected channels? I feel like the words pre-selected channels is super, super loaded, in my opinion. Like, I just already know that those women's games might not be included in that lineup. Hopefully they are. Like, I have hope in my heart that they are, but we will see. So yeah, YouTube will pre-select the multi-view channels that you can choose from, all of which will carry the NCAA tournament coverage. But again, we're going to wonder if those pre-selected channels will include the women's tournament. So I digress. But in order to access the option, users will be able to choose four live sports streams from the top picks for you section in the YouTube TV app. And the access and tech behind this feature uh, originally stems from YouTube Live, where multiple creators can go live together on the stream. And this will actually like serve as future inspiration for how YouTube multi-view can serve creators, like being able to add commentary to certain streams with your own stream, like directly next to it, straight from YouTube. So hopefully that'll be a thing moving forward as well. 
And then from a branding perspective, this is obviously huge in the world of live sports for YouTube as a company. They've stated they want this feature to be more broadly available during the fall, especially for the NFL season, and have continued to roll out more and more features catering to sports fans. Just a few to name are like Fantasy View, 4K streaming. Like we're really trying to cater to live sports fans as we pivot away from cable TV. And adding this multi-view for sure will add like that competitive edge for YouTube as it challenges Hulu Live TV and now even like Amazon Prime when it has Thursday Night Football. And, you know, when brands consider which channels they choose to show up on, YouTube TV is now going to be a huge contender. It'll also for sure add to like the online discourse of individual games. Now that you can literally watch four at once, you're going to be tuned into everything. You can be live tweeting four different games instead of honing in on one and tweeting eight different times about this one game. You're not missing content anymore. So you can be engaged in a bunch of different threads. And my personal hope is that it can open up opportunities for users to watch women's sports alongside men's sports instead of those two categories competing against each other for airtime, which is a huge win for everyone, not just women's sports. This could have really big impacts, especially around March Madness, especially around the NFL season and even the Olympics, if this goes off as YouTube has planned. Hannah, do you think you would engage with this or would anybody that you know engage with this? Oh, Joey, you're asking the wrong person. I only watch sports under duress. Um, (laughs) I can imagine my husband would love this. I feel like he jerry-rigs his own multi-viewer experience in our living room today. He'll have an iPhone, a laptop, and our TV all playing different things at the same time, which I find maddening, but he seems to love. So I'm sure he'll be an avid fan. Uh, (laughs) I won't, though. It's all part of the madness, Hannah. It's all part of the madness. Excellent. Joey, do you have a March Madness bracket? Of course I do. I do one with my family every year, and the loser has to make dinner for the winner. (laughs) Well, that's wholesome. That's a nice... I don't know. It is wholesome. (laughs) We're very wholesome in the Scarillo family. All right, friends. Well, that does it for us today. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to discuss. And you can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel and my top friends today. Hannah and Kylie. And as always, thanks to Samantha Geller and Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes for making us sound great. Gray recently launched its fourth season of our Webby award-winning podcast, Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas. On the latest episode, I had a wonderful conversation with Broadway's Jesse Mueller about her journey in creating characters for the stage. It's an inspiring exploration of the creative process and literally a peek behind the curtain of the path to Broadway. If you're a creative mind, you will enjoy this episode. You can follow and listen to Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you are listening to this podcast. And that is it for us today. Thank you, listener. And as always, please be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin. With post-production support from Ned Martin. 
Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.